Welcome to this special Conversations Shelter in Place episode of the Orbital Perspective Podcast. Where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. T-minus 17 seconds and counting. 15, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Go for main engine start. Main engine start. 2, one, booster ignition, and liftoff of the Space Shuttle Discovery, returning to the space station, paving the way for future missions beyond. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, Nicole. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, fourth conversation in Conversations Sheltered in Place. I'm really excited to have Nicole uh, here today, Nicole Stott. And uh, this is a conversation. This is... If it's an interview, though, you could be the interviewer, and I'll be the interviewee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we hope we we hope this uh, finds everybody safe and healthy, and uh, and adapting to uh, our present situation, navigating this crisis. And I think part of the way we navigate through this crisis is through perspective. And uh, I think we're going to talk a lot about perspective today, and and ways that we could uh, come out of this uh, stronger, more unified, and better equipped to handle any other crisis that come down. Uh, the shoot. So, uh, hi, Nicole. Hi. How, how we? 
<laughs> I was looking, we, we, we had talked earlier about like having some, you know, talking about the Nemo experience, the yeah. living underwater, go, go to inner space to learn how to live and work in outer space. And I just like was trying to look like I, you couldn't see me looking at files to try to find a couple fun pictures, but um, there are some, so we'll find them along the way. I, I found one. I'm sporting my Nemo shirt here. Oh, that, that won't work though. Yeah. If I, that, you are, look at that, Nemo 9. So what is I, Nemo I'm gonna 9? i go the wrong way. Some people might not know what Nemo 9 is. So Maybe. Nemo, Maybe. I don't know if you can see, let's get that right up in the view there. So um, Nemo 9, so Nemo, like NASA always has the acronyms for everything, right? So Nemo, N-E-E-M-O, stands for NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations. And you and I were together on the ninth mission of, of Nemo. And I think the idea was always that we would go into this extreme environment, living under water in the ocean in this habitat that we called Aquarius, about the size of a school bus, that would prepare us for going and living and working in space. And I don't know about you, but I think it was absolutely the best analog to living in space. Um, and um, when we went, I think one of the things that we helped influence was that uh, the missions would actually be missions too. They'd be missions like what we would do uh, in parallel with the strategy that NASA had going on at the time. So that was fun. I think I'm all by myself. <laughs> I'm gonna ask Ron where he went. Let's see, Ron, where'd you go? I'll keep talking about Nemo until uh, Ronnie gets back. Um, yeah, so Ron and I spent 18 days together and you may have noticed his little comment in the Facebook and uh, social media announcement about us figuring out how not to kill each other in, <laughs> in that 18 days underwater. It was um, such a special mission to be on, such a special place to be and really, just like space to uh, experience the planet in a whole new way uh, as it surrounded, you know, surrounded us. And to be in this beautifully protected um, reef area, sitting about 60 feet underwater. And, and just like in space, you can't, if something goes wrong, you can't just, you know, swim to the surface to, to solve the problem. You have to deal with it at 60 feet underwater and um, absolutely the best preparation for going and living and working in space. Okay. You know, so I, I don't know how to work this thing. <laughs> so I'm going to send Ronnie a text to where are you? I'll just keep talking in the blind here. And um, he might have to restart us at some point, but um, just so you all know, uh, a little background, Ron and I, we both, we met each other, uh, oh my gosh, 20 years ago when we were both selected into the NASA astronaut class of 2000 and uh, became close friends. Uh, our families are very close. Ron and his awesomeness wife, Carmel, are the godparents to uh, my husband, Chris and I's son, Roman. Uh, we have, I think, basically grew up together in the, the astronaut office. And uh, while we didn't get to fly in space together, we did get to have this mission uh, underwater. And uh, yeah, very special. I have memory of Ron and I sitting at the window of the, of the habitat at one point. And this is not that picture, but I think, can I find one? 
big lightning. Actually, this one's fun. Let's see if I can show it and then we'll see if share screen works. Um, this is this, these looks are like, this is who Ronnie and I are. Let's see, share screen. There we go. Okay. <laughs> you guys are all going to crack up and laugh at me. Okay, I'm going to shut this because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm feeling abandoned by Ron right now. Can I tell you that? <laughs> Here, I'm going to call him. You can watch me call him and talk to him. So excited. Okay, well, I'm I'm on I'm on video right now as the um, I'm, I, I'm sharing our call. Can you see me? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. I'll keep. I'll keep. I'm. I'm. I am. I am. Okay. All right, I'm going to try to share screen again and see what happens. <laughs> All right, bye. Text me when you're. All right. Computer crashing on on in in Tucson, so uh, you just have me. I don't even know what to do. I can't engage with you. Let's see if I can see if there's any any comments in the chat area. Ah, oh, like that. Love you guys. Um, uh, scuba diving is a hobby. Yeah. Love that question. So that's from Juniper. And, uh, yeah, I was already a recreational diver before, uh, starting into the training for this, this Nemo mission. And I believe Ron was too. I don't know if he'd ha actually had his certification at that point, but got it to be able to participate. And, um, really, really cool because we, we use diving as a way to train for our spacewalks too. So in the big pool at Johnson Space Center, it's called the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. It's this ginormous swimming pool. It's like 200 feet long by 100 feet wide and um, 40 feet deep and has this mock-up of the space station in it. And so we get into the same suits that we would use if we were doing a spacewalk and we kind of move around in the pool on the structure and practice uh, spacewalking, learning how to do an EVA. So I had to have it for that. And then, but for me, um, diving, uh, I always consider I, as a recreational, I, I didn't want my mask off. I didn't want somebody knocking my regulator out of my mouth or having to put all the equipment on underwater after it's been taken off of me and swim into the surface, that kind of stuff. I didn't want to have to do that. And that was there. I had a lot of anxiety about having to do the training for this mission because we were going to be doing all of these advanced things. Um, we were using some pretty, pretty advanced uh, scuba rigs with the double tanks and the integrated comm masks and as well as uh, some of our stuff uh, was with the big hard hat helmets and the umbilicals. And so you had to do all these things like lay on the bottom of the ocean in the heart, you know, in this hard hat helmet, let the whole thing flood and then, you know, evacuate it and be able to recover that. Um, a lot of swimming without the mask on, 
um, to do line line searches in case you know something had gone wrong. And so it was um, it was really very stressful for me at first to think about having to do these things and to the swim test that we had to do and that stuff. But I practiced a lot and I found it's really cool how we can overcome these anxieties by just training ourselves, by training and doing a little bit more than I knew I was going to have to do when I went down to, you know, Key Largo with these folks and had them making me do it at 60 feet underwater um, was one of the best things I ever did. And now when I get in and dive, I feel like I'm much more prepared for managing things if they do go wrong, when, whether I'm with my family or my friends diving, or I'm going off and doing something that's more of a, you know, of a training kind of experience too. Um, a friend of Ron and I's, um, Nick Skytland, just, uh, and Nick, I promise, I, I, or I apologize, I never pronounced your last name correctly, but uh, just logged on and we miss you too. And thank you for all the help you've always given us uh, through our training. And I know you're doing great work with things now. Um, and Juniper, you're welcome. Um, I, I I can't say enough about the the Nemo mission and what we did to prepare um, to go to space with it. Uh, I know Ronnie, when he gets back on, we're going to talk about um, you know some of the the things that go along with the isolation that we're in and the confinement. And Jean uh, Clateau, I think that's how you would pronounce your last name. Um, can you help us to manage? Um, the confinement in this new environment. And I'm assuming that, Jean, you mean this new environment of us staying in our homes um, when maybe we didn't choose to do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we go to space or we go and we do an Aquarius mission living underwater, we've purposefully trained to go do that. We've um, already prepared in our own minds that we're going to be living in this isolated place, that we're going to have to deal with things differently, right? So. We've done all of this uh, work where we're training to work as a team, as a crew, how you manage that in these different environments. <clears throat> and so now where we're in this place that, you know, even though it's familiar to us, our own homes, um, it's a little bit more challenging, I think, because we're, we're not choosing, you know, we're not choosing to do this. However, I, I thank all of you for doing it. Uh, I think we're in a place right now where this is our job. This is our, our task as crew members here on Spaceship Earth, right? We know just like we do when we're in space on a space station or we're on a, an Aquarius module underneath the ocean, um, there are certain things we have to do to keep ourselves alive and to keep our crewmates, our whole crew, you know, to survive where we are. And I think that's what we're doing right now. We are behaving like crew members. We're doing what we need so that that we and our families and our friends and all of the crew members on Spaceship Earth can, can survive. Um, so I'll tell you, the two things that stand out the most for me um, in the way I'm trying to, to deal with this, and as I reflect on the time I had in space or underwater and how we manage that, are really, um, you go to those places and you know it's going to be new. You know the the way you're going to live is going to be different. That the way you move, you know, floating in space and floating underwater in some ways, um, the things you eat. The, I mean, all of it is just this new new place, and you are are in awe of it. You're you want to experience it, get to know it a little better. 
And that's what I'm trying to do here at home too. As much as I'm familiar with this room that I'm sitting in right now, I'm trying to look at it just a little bit differently to appreciate having my husband and son here with me um, and for us to be able to, I don't know, just look out the window and, um, and not take for granted what, what we have around us and, um, and how we can support each other. And then the other thing I would say is, again, just like we do when we live in space or underwater, is we try to maintain um, communication with the, the people that we care about. We try to reach out with them and share the experience with them. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to do that same thing here. Um, take advantage of things like this where I can make eye contact with you know, the people I care about and I can't necessarily be in the same room with them, but we've got so many tools that we can use to allow us to, to communicate. Um, uh, let's see. Rui Mara. Ah, so um, this is kind of cool too. You know, Facebook, all this social media, we get to meet people that we don't ever have had the chance to meet me, but um, you know, and then they, they come into our lives and they support things. And you know, I, you'll see this spacesuit behind me, this colorful spacesuit. Um, some of the work I do is with the Space for Art Foundation, which is all about space art and healing. And we work with kids all over the world doing these space themed art therapy projects. And you end up finding people that just reach out to you and engage and help support that. And this question, let's see, a little bit different. What are the main EMU differences between the neutral buoyancy suits and the ones you use in orbit? Okay, yeah, so um, what I'm getting asked about here is what's the difference between the suit we use in space and the one we use that we're training in the pool with? The overall suit is exactly the same. Um, the, on the only real differences are uh, in space, when we go out the door, uh, you'll notice that we have these like backpacks on us and our the whole entire life support system that allows us to breathe, to stay cool, um, and to communicate is all managed through that that life support. It looks like we got Ronnie back. And um, I'm back. You're back. <laughs> and here I'm going to finish answering this question, and then we'll then we'll um, go because you know I'm taking control now, right? Um, <laughs> But we're talking about the difference between the the EMU for space and for you know training in the in the pool. And I was just getting to the point where, you know, in space, all about the life support is in that backpack that you have. In the pool, they put that backpack on you, but it doesn't really have life support in it. They've got these umbilicals that run to you with your air and your water and the communication lines and anything kind of powered that you need. Um, but as far as you what you know is the person in that suit, it really feels very much the same. And you've got these divers in the water that, um, you know, help move you around and avoid interference with that umbilical. And I, I don't know about you, Ron, but I was very happy that it actually was so much easier to move in that suit in space than it was in that pool. The pool to me was the most physically challenging training we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easier to move and it's, it's harder to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be. And that's why what I always thought was so funny, you know, you you really in the pool because you got the drag of the water and the suit still weighs, you know, 200 and something pounds and they try to get you neutrally buoyant. But you've got to I mean, you've really got to, you know, fight. You are working to move yourself in that suit around in the swimming pool and uh, in space. It's like this graceful ballet kind of thing. You've yeah. got to be thinking every step of the way. OK, I'm moving 
okay, how am I gonna stop? You know, have I got too much momentum going? That's, you know, Newton was right with all that stuff. It's kind of funny. Yeah, you wanna know where I've been? Where have you been, Ron? <laughs> so my, my computer crashed. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it won't come back. I, I think my computer just died. <gasps> um, I think it's I think it's permanently dead. Uh, I had to run and go get another computer, and then yeah. I had to download a browser, and, and then I had to. <laughs> and we'll probably never never do one of these things again. But uh, thank you for uh, holding that, holding down the fort. <laughs> Absolutely, I felt so alone there. And yeah. then I remembered there were the live comments, and that was great. You know, and people are really engaging. I just. Um, answered a couple questions. Nick, um, and I, I told him I, I apologize because I can never remember how to pronounce his last name, Skytland Skitland, you know, is on here somewhere just saying yeah. hi and that he misses us. And I told yeah. him we miss him too. Yes, I, I, I am yeah. not in as a host right now. So I don't, uh, I don't mean like a host on Westworld. I'm just mean yeah. like, like I, I'm not here. I don't have any controls right now. Okay. So, I don't so even, we're all out of control. We're going to end the broadcast. I think we're going to have wow. to be talking indefinitely for like the rest of our lives now because I can't end the broadcast. That could be painful for you, as I think you mentioned something about um, having to suffer through 18 days underwater with me. <laughs> I think I said the other way. So that you didn't kill me. You, you're down here for three weeks and you didn't kill me. It was initially yeah, not killing was good. <laughs> what you've been talking about since I've been gone? Uh, well, I explained a little bit more about the um, the Aquarius mission and you know what we did there. Um, we I answered a couple questions, uh, a little bit about the isolation. I shared uh, my two kind of strategies right now. I mean, reflecting a lot on um, you know what's going on, but and and how we dealt with that in space. But I shared primarily that my two things are just you know getting used to you know introducing yourself again to what surrounds you just like we have to when we we go to space and um and then the communication you know this is this this is it's important you know that we can <laughs> you know they can get a little eye contact going every yeah. now and then i think it's yeah. it's um it's one thing to not be able to be physically in the same place with somebody but um we have really great tools that allow us to to communicate in a way that i think we can get a a a pretty good assessment of how somebody is doing too. Right, right. So, what are what are your, some of your memories from from living on the bottom of the ocean? Wow, lots of them. Um, one of my memories that's my favorite, um, and this will say, probably not one that you're expecting, but there's one that was after we got back up, and I put my other pair of shorts on, and I've lost probably I don't know how many pounds I've lost. Coming, it was like I. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking we ate like little piglets down there. I mean, we yeah. ate nachos well, every night. When they come out of being sheltered in place and come out of you know quarantine, they're gonna they're gonna have the same experience that they're gonna realize that they lost all this weight. Um, I don't. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I'm not diving, you know, six hours a day either. But um, but I was I was surprised by that. But <clears throat> I think it was kind of cool how we really. Um, I think we really appreciated where we were, you know, yeah. and that, uh, and I know both of us at least were, were probably thinking about, oh, how is this going to compare to to going to space? But I was telling folks, and I was trying to find this one picture of us sitting in front of the window, um, where before we left at the end of the mission, I mean, we were sitting there and we both, because neither of us had flown yet, and just talking about, man, if we never go to space, this, yeah, this, is this was such a cool thing to 
have earth like surrounding you to be yeah. in this environment of inner space that gave you this whole new kind of, I don't know, you know, micro perspective on the planet that we live on that you just don't get to think about very often. I, I think it, for me, I think it was my first real exposure to the awe and wonder of our planet, you know, because here at ground level, you know, we, we, we are, we're surrounded by awe and wonder, but we, we have learned to take it for granted. Right. Yeah. But when you go to a unique environment in, and I think there's something to be said about it being a hostile environment, Host, not, not that we, we had hostile creatures surrounding us, but just the fact that we were dependent on our life support systems for our very life, because, you know, without that, we couldn't survive in, the, in that environment. Just the, that just makes it, it, it that much more special and, it, and seeing that much more out of the ordinary, which allows you to appreciate, I think, the on wonder of where you're at. Um, but the good news is we're, we're surrounded by all constantly. We have a, a tremendous awe-inspiring planet that, from any perspective, including the perspective uh, where we're sitting right now. So. Yeah, and I think that's why, I mean, that, that's, that's a much better way to say what I was trying to say with the, you know, how we appreciate what we, what we really think we're already familiar with, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can look out of my backyard right now and I could probably pick 20 things that are awesome you know, easily, whether it's the way, you know, the flowers are blooming on that crown of thorns. That that's the dolphins that swim around your canal. Yeah, there are dolphins that swim out here, manatee. And I've always been in awe of those, right? But I think when you, yeah, you just you can, there's so much that, that we are surrounded by that we just, um, kind of, yeah, we kind of, I don't make ourselves immune to it almost, you know, it's like, it's like not realizing that we live on a planet, right? Yeah, right. we all know that. That's a pretty awesome thing, and that we're all in space like this, and and yet it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that now. That's with away. me all the time. Think space about it. Twenty miles away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Very cool. Very cool. So how's uh, how's your um, sheltering in place uh, doing? It's it's going all right. I I have to admit I feel very fortunate. Um, we, we are comfortable here. Um, my husband, Chris, you know, Chris and I, we, we both were already working out of the house together. So we've had a few years to adjust to that already. So do you have like a morning commute? Like you, 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 you kiss each other goodbye and then go off to your different parts of the house? Or, uh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of find your spot and then, you know, come back together at lunchtime and things and dinner time. Yeah. The, the biggest change for us right now has been, um, you know, the schools are, are not operating as schools in, you know, in the physical yeah. sense. And um, Roman is 17. He's in 11th grade. And guess who's getting to learn history all over and uh, remember how to do math and that kind of stuff. So we should have a godfather. The godfather could come in and help us. <laughs> I told people that too, by the way. You did. I, I did already. Yeah. I did as well, just in case, just in case you didn't. Yeah. Hey, um, did you talk about expedition? See, I, don't, I have no idea what you talked about. So I don't yeah, know. I mean, assume we've talked start. about nothing and then I'll tell you no, Ron. We've already have spoken about, about that. expeditionary behavior because that's what, uh, that's what I like. That's what we told people we were going to talk about. So. Yeah, we can, yeah, well, not really. Other than I, you know, and I don't even know if I said this because um, I'm old and can't remember things. <laughs> um, just that, I think one of the things that's interesting about what we're going through right now is that we prepare to go to space. We prepare to go do an underwater mission, and we train for it. 
You know, we train together as a crew. We train and everything we do, whether it's learning the systems on those vehicles or not, we're really learning how to work as a crew to manage them, right? And and we made a choice to apply to be an astronaut or to do this and, you know, to choose to go to space and live on a space station that's relatively confined, although I would argue it's actually ginormous. Um, and so we, we've had preparation for it. Whereas here, you know, we didn't have a choice. Um, we, we've been put into this position and, and we did talk a little bit about how, what, what we're doing right now is behaving like crew members. We're doing the job we need to do to take care of our family and friends and to do the best we can to ensure the life of all the crew on okay. Spaceship Earth. So, right. yeah. So what, can you talk about some of your like uh, training, specific training, like known stuff that you've done or training that's specifically trying to bring out expeditionary behavior? And oh, I do want to get to questions too, because there's there's some great questions. Yeah. Keep them, keep them coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we do. It's interesting. We do. And I, they started doing more of this when we actually started living on the space station, knowing that we, we weren't just going to be doing a, a short duration mission on on a space shuttle and um, spending two weeks in space together, we were gonna be going and living for months at a time with each other as crews of six you know, or more at times. And uh, I, I don't know, I loved all of the expeditionary training we did. Uh, and I would consider the emergency, you know, the emergency training we did was that as well, like going off and doing water, Soyuz water survival in the middle of the Black Sea um, that, I mean, that to me, that was, you had to know how to work as a team inside of that vehicle. You had to do all of these things to keep you from, you know, sinking the spacecraft in the middle of an ocean somewhere or a sea and keeping each other alive while you did it. Um, you know, cold weather, um, survival going out to the, you know, outside of Quebec in this Valcartier area and, um, you know, spending 10 days. In Russia. It was even colder. Russia was so I don't know about you, but when we did the Soyuz um, winter survival, it was the coldest winter in a hundred years. How cold was it? So it was like minus 48 oh, or something. That was minus 34 in mine. So yeah. you beat me. Yeah. Minus, now I'll tell you what, with the right equipment, I would take minus 48 over just above freezing and wet and icky. I would take, I would take that. That, I, yeah. I agree with you because I yeah. experienced both. But I think one of the things that you're bringing out is, you know, it's really easy to talk about expeditionary behavior uh, when things are not stressful. You know, it's easy to talk about self-care and, and looking out for others and looking for telltale signs that people are under pressure and all that kind of stuff when everything's going great. It's when you're really, really stressed out. You're really, really tired. Um, you know, you're not feeling well. And, uh, and, and everybody's like that and yeah. everybody's starting to get on each other's nerves. That's when it really comes in handy to, to really know how to navigate that. Um, and I know that we, we've both experienced you know, those, those situations. Yeah, I think that's, I think one of the things that really pleasantly surprised me on the space station and I, I on the space shuttle too, um, seeing how this um, came to life was and I'll use a station example, three o'clock in the morning, you're comfortably sleeping and you're, you know, floating in your sleeping bag in your crew compartment and the klaxon starts going, the alarm, you know, it sounds a lot like your smoke alarm in your house, but louder and just, yeah. you know, this grating, like you can't wait to silence it kind of sound. 
but it definitely wakes you up. And to watch how this crew I had trained with on the ground, how we all floated out of our crew compartments. We, number one, made sure we had accounted for every person on the crew. We got to the place where we had trained to deal, you know, the control center on the station to where we had trained to deal with um, responding to an emergency. We knew what the bold faced things we had to do, like the immediate actions we had to take to make sure that we were safe. And then we all did our jobs. And it was, I mean, I remember like watching that in awe and thinking, holy moly, we can really prepare ourselves to deal with something that could be quite catastrophic and, and very deliberately and diligently and calmly do that. And it was so, it was su such a nice thing to see happen. Yeah. So I have some questions. Okay. Okay, we got, uh, is it Rui Mara? Did I, did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Yeah, He's a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. How crucial is earth sounds to people in isolation, running water, rain, winds, birds, traffic? I think that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really important. I, I mean, I don't know about you, Ron. We've, we've talked before about how when you're inside of the space station, right, it's um, the noises, the sounds that you really hear are like the sound of the space station. You know, the pumps running, fans, computers, things like that. You might hear somebody running on the treadmill, um, communication, you know, the comm over the different loops and stuff. But there's not a lot of, there's not any like natural noises other than human ones, um, which do still happen in space too. Um, can, you, can you give an example? Um, you, could, you could give us a really good example. Um, <laughs> But we're all human. Anyway, so I remember thinking like, uh, we did, we would have like some of those, uh, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Jeff or um, Mike that had one of those little sound machine kinds of things or up on your computer, you could bring up um, videos and, you know, and music or, or sounds. But I remember looking out the window and imagining the sound because really it was like you were watching the planet with the mute button on, you know, you'd see this big storm moving around and it just looked like this white billowy, swirly, beautiful thing. And on the other hand, you knew, you knew that underneath it, <laughs> you know, totally different thing going on. But I, I remember trying to imagine those sounds as I watched what I was seeing out the window too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, there's lots of different sounds that remind you of Earth, right? To bring you back to Earth. I remember I was once I was working. I think on my first mission, so I've been, I've been probably been in space for four or five days, and it's a it's an it's a tough environment. It's a challenging environment to get used to. You know, you're first of all you're really really busy. You know, they've got you know twenty something hours of of stuff crammed into a single day that you're supposed to get done, and and you're expected to get done. So you're working really hard. You're working really fast, concentrating. Uh, and so there's a, a level of stress. There's a level of tension always that, uh, of what you're doing. And I remember I was working on, on some, some tasks that I had on the first thing. And all of a sudden I realized I was relaxed. I didn't feel as tense as I was before. And then I realized I was relaxed because music was playing. Yeah. Somebody, somebody had set up speakers and was playing music. And I don't even remember what the music was, but it, it was, and I thought about that for a second and I thought, oh, Music is kind of a tie to home, right? It's a tie to earth. We're in this hostile environment. Your your psyche and your body is trying to figure out where where you are, and you know there's no context to compare it to. Um, yeah. And so and so, you know, I think just having that subconscious connection to earth 
made me relax. And so I think it's a really good question. I think, you know, if you have the opportunity to get out in nature safely, um, I've been going on hikes on you know, pretty remote trails where you know I don't come in contact with anybody except for my wife who's, who's with me. And uh, um, that I think is, is really therapeutic and a really good thing to do. But if you're in it, if you can't do that, then, you know, just as, as much as you, anything you can do to connect yourself back to, to the natural, to the, to the outside world, if you will, yeah, the better you'll be as long as you can do that safely. I, I know I, not to not to drag this on, but I mean, I, I think it's really important. You know, this, these sensory things are important to us as human beings. It's why having the eye contact thing, I think, is important when we communicate with people and, you know, or just hearing them even. I didn't have eye contact with you just then when you said that because I was reading one of the comments. You were looking at something else, yeah. I was. Uh, so no. you don't pay attention to me. But um, anyway, the... <laughs> Remember when, you know, it's like in your house when the, the power goes out and the refrigerator goes off and you realize all of a sudden how loud it was before, you know, this, this kind of new silence yeah, that, right. that you experience. Right. And I remember the same thing happening on the space station. You know, if we had a, like an electrical issue and all of a sudden the power, you know, some bus power bus went down and, um, and they were like, wow, it was, it was really loud in here before. And not having noticed that until it goes away, right. and then it was cool because the engineers had strategically, you know, put the equipment in places where, if the sounds went away on the left or on the port side of the station, that meant it was some you could psych out which electrical bus it was, and if every other light was on, and you know those kinds of things that they deliberately built into the system for us to use those sounds to to troubleshoot a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's something that anybody can practice right now is is basically increasing your awareness. So basically, we've all been sent to our rooms, we've all we've all been sent for some quiet time, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm noticing a lot of stuff I didn't notice before. <laughs> so because yeah. when you when the noise level goes down, you you know the other things start to start, start to rise up. Uh, Susanna Spire, I think. Um, I hope I said that right. Says hi, Nicole. Hi, Ron. I would be interested in any advice you have for um, uh, immune. They say that immunocompromised. Immunocompromised people will only be able to leave their house for doctor appointments between now and when a vaccine is available. It must have taken a lot of time to simply survive while on the ISS. But uh, both of you were also quite productive during that time. Did you all survive stuff? Did all the survival stuff challenge your focus? Did you plan your daily activities down to the half hour in advance? So I think our daily activities are planned out in advance <laughs> or, the, or the second maybe. Um, yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, it, it, for the for the last part of that um, that question, uh, we we have a really structured um, timeline set up for us, whether we were on the shuttle or on the on the station where. They really do. I mean, they um, at one point it was down to like five minute increments, you know, and you had to do things in certain orders. And um, and then they discovered that you can't really do that to people. You've got to give them some flexibility. So I think they still do schedule it down to that timeline, but they allow you to maneuver it around a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> and um, but I think there's something to that. Um, I don't think we need to do that to ourselves right now, but I think we do need to, 
um, get into kind of a rhythm of things to, you know, I make a real point of just getting out of the pajamas in the morning. Um, it would be real easy to just roll out of bed and come straight to the computer and work or to do stuff without kind of segregating the day a little bit into the, yeah. um, the things that are, there are to do. And that that's important from a family standpoint too. And, um, and I think that it's, it's beyond the survival stuff uh, of just being there and living there. It's surviving, you know, psychologically and doing things like, I mean, I remember getting in front of the window was a very transcendent thing for me. Um, during the day, I'd have to set my the alarm on my watch to remind me, okay, Nikki, you're here to work, not, you know, spend the whole day with your face planted in the window, but a whole orbit, 90 minutes would go by. And if I didn't set the alarm, I'd have MCC, you know, our control center calling me like, hey, Nikki, you know, how about go clean the toilet, go do the science experiment, whatever it was, because it was just this way of completely separating, you know? And uh, I, I think we need to do some of that in this time too. allow ourselves to just completely separate as well. Yeah. So, but for, for folks who, who are somewhat compromised and can't leave and, and you know, this could be a long time. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about um, space shuttle missions being a sprint and ISS missions in long duration missions being a marathon. And I think, I think you really need to get into that marathon mindset. You need to pace yourself. You need to um, do some long-term planning and look at, look at opportunities in all these things. You know, the, uh, you have the opportunity to do things that, that you wouldn't have in the, in the daily grind that we're all used to and the and the busyness and everything else. I know that, you know, a lot of people are still busy just because you're, you know, we're in our homes, but there there is parts of the day that is given being being given back to everybody. You know, if, if you had a commute, you don't have a commute anymore. If you know, um, and we we can choose what we do with our available time. Um, and so uh, we can choose to do things that are gonna be self-improving, I, I think. Um, and 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 make us, uh, you know, um, give us a, a benefit when we come out the other side of this. So. Yeah, I think we all need to figure out how we take something away from it too. You know, something that you know, how do we change our lives during this time that is is healthier and more? Um, I don't know. You know, there's kind of a spiritual aspect to it too, and a um, uh, this retreat almost from, you know, from a grind that we might've all been in that allows us to, you know, reflect and, you know, think about ourselves even, even more. Well, Jeremy Boxer, one of our pals uh, at Constellation, uh, he wants to know, what do you do each day to center yourself in this time of change? Here now. <clears throat> um, for me, I think it's, it, you know, it's what we talked about. It's uh, really allowing myself to take some time to look differently at what's around me. Um, I'm also, you know, we mentioned looking out the window on the space station and that, that kind of transcendent feeling there. Uh, I never meditated before I went to space. It wasn't something that I, that I did. Um, but that absolutely is... Um, for me, it's the closest thing that I, I come to with what I felt like in front of that window on a space station. Okay. And so I try to do that. I'm not as diligent about it as I should be, but when I do it, it's kind of like going flying. Every time I end up going flying, I'm like, oh my gosh, why haven't I been doing this? You know, or, or scuba diving or something that's, you know, or kayaking or things like that where I'm like, why aren't I doing this more? It allows me to just 
you know, be in that place. And yeah. um, that's that's what meditation has done for me. Um, and and also, um, you know, art. I, I know, Ron, you know the same thing. There's a there's a very transcendent thing about that too. If you get into a project, whether it's art or writing or, uh, you know, even the work that we're doing, if you can really allow yourself to absorb in it, um, become part of it, that's- Get into the flow state. Yeah, doesn't happen often for me, but that's 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 a good thing. You know, I, I didn't meditate um, back when I was flying in space either. And I, I, wish, I, I wish I did. It would, um, because you know what's interesting there's there's a really good um, parallel between flying in space and meditating and and um, for me and actually a, a friend Jeff Gitterman uh, made this connection um, a few years ago in that you know in meditation what you're what you're basically doing is you're detaching from your thoughts right you're you're becoming the observer of your thoughts and the observe you you become the observing awareness right and that's and that's and that's what meditation is all about. So the, the detachment from from your thoughts. But when you're in space, you're detaching from the earth. And so when you talk about when you talk about when you're talking about being in the cupola or being at a window and just being immersed for 90 minutes of an orbit, uh, that to me is is a meditation because it's a because you are you are detached from the beauty that you're observing, right? So like when we when we see a beautiful scene on the earth, you know, you're on the rim of the Grand Canyon or, you know, at the foot of a mountain or whatever, gravity is pushing us into that scene. We are, we are inside the frame of the masterpiece that we, that we are uh, observing. Um, but both in space and meditation, we have the opportunity to go outside of the frame of the picture, outside the frame of the masterpiece and appreciate it, appreciate it from, from a different perspective. I think that's a really, powerful um, experience. And I think it's a very grounding, centering experience. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I um, try to share with some friends too that, you know, you could always ask the question about, it's about looking up down at earth, looking down at the planet and, oh my gosh, highly recommend it. There is, um, there is awesomeness. I mean, I feel like I understand the word awe better just from having that experience, right? But I think in this, and I like the way you describe that about being part of the, the masterpiece. I think the way down here on earth, in addition to you know, meditation where you kind of um, deliberately take yourself out of the picture in a way, um, standing on the planet and thinking about, I'm standing on a, my feet are on a planet and looking up. Um, and I don't care if it's day or night. Um, Night gives you a little bit more of things to look at and and far as like consideration of yourself on a planet and the universe and things. But I mean, I find myself now standing feet, like purposely thinking about my feet attached to the planet and looking up and thinking, oh my gosh, I know that that beautiful blue sky I'm looking at doesn't go on forever like it seems to from here. And I, and I think about that and how thin that veil is that protects us, right? And then at night, I look at it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we are on this small little planet, perfect distance from the sun, you know, a little closer, further, not so good for us, right? You know, it, it, it's perfectly designed to take care of us. And I, I don't know, I, I feel like I get this sense of, of where we all are together. And I encourage, you know, and it's not just go out and look for the station flying over because you should do that too. You know, you should get that app and know when that space station's flying over. 
but to just get this sense of awe of, oh my gosh, I'm rotating at this speed, I'm circling the sun, I'm all of these things that just don't come into play yeah. through our normal like routine lives, yeah. You know, I had an in interesting experience um, that's along the same lines as what you're talking about. I, I, I wanna share it with you because I wanna see if you've ever had this experience. Is So I, I went out for a run and I came back and I was sitting in my backyard and, and just laying, laying on the grass in the backyard, right? My 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 dog Pip was was next to me. The coolest the dog, and and I'm just I'm just catching some sun, laying laying in the grass, looking up, and you know, I think everybody experiences this to some extent. You know, I, I'm feeling my weight push me into the grass, right, or pull me into the grass, and so you know what's actually happening is the gravitational pull from the center of the Earth is pulling me down. I think I think that's that that's interesting, but. The other thing that happened is I felt the weight of the atmosphere on me because the atmosphere has weight. And I thought about that and I said, why, why am I realizing this? Why have I never felt this before? This, because, you know, there's, you know, we're, we have sea level pressure, right? So the pressure that we feel on our body is, is basically, you know, the weight of the atmosphere on us, right? And in space, that weight is, is coming at us at all different directions. That pressure can but on the ground, while I'm laying on the ground, you know, my whole, the back of my body was all pressed into the grass. And so the only part of me that was feeling that pressure was, was that particular pressure was on the front. And so I really felt, it, it was like this sensation that I was, you know, laying on a planet, the planet was pulling me towards the center, and I had a, this gigantic lightweight blanket of the atmosphere laying on top of me. Um, I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's all the, again, I think it's all the kind of sensory things that we can appreciate if we allow ourselves to think about it that way, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, can we can we do, um, I'm noticing a question from Daniel Yount about um, attaching a telescope um, to the ISS facing outward towards the stars. And I just have to tell you, I don't know about you, but, um, I, I still have, I think the petition is still out there for us to get a cupola module on the, Z, you know, on the top of the space station too, looking out towards space. Yeah. Because we had, um, that's not my, that's not me, by the way. Um, we had, um, you know, uh, it's not me. The it's, cupola, not me right? it's the person whose computer I had to steal. Ah, okay. It's good. Um, you know, facing towards the earth, this observatory that we had to just, you know, be in awe of the planet below us and, you know, to see, you know, horizon to horizon and get this view. If you got it really dark in the station, you know, you could see the Milky Way, you could see the the stars out there and stuff, that thin line of the atmosphere. But I always remember thinking, man, it would be so awesome to have one of those on top where you could just yeah. go and I think from a, an operational standpoint, it would have been really good too. you know, have the be able to operate the arm from up there, be able to inspect your space station from a whole yeah. other perspective. But to be able to just face in total darkness towards that like deep blackness of space that like reach into it, feel it kind of crystal clear black of space that that we don't get anywhere else. Yeah. And imagine the, the video yeah. that could come from that, too. Yeah. And then, yeah, put a put a telescope on it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I always talk about this thing that I that I did on one of my EVAs, the windshield wiper. 
Mm -hmm. Me too. I always, yeah. I always, I always, I always talk about just one sweep of it, where I'm above the space station. It's I'm on the day side of the orbit, yeah. and, and I see the space station below me. But the first sweep of the windshield wiper was was in, in on the dark side of the orbit, and so as I was going up above the space station, and the and the lights of the space station were treating below me, it was a pretty interesting experience. And that, you know, I have this like 500 pound box in my hands, and at the top of the arc. I thought, well, let's see what happens if I turn my lights off. Yeah, <laughs> that was not a that was not a good idea. <laughs> Were you ever scared in space? Yeah, it, there you go. <laughs> it didn't seem it didn't seem like a good idea in the first couple of seconds because when I turned my lights off, I saw nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. I didn't see my gloves. I didn't see my the box in front of me. I saw black. It was like it's like I went blind. Everything just went black. But then eventually I started to see my gloves and I started to see the, the, the box, which was a pump, which was a nitrogen pump. And it had this like, it, was, it, it just emerged out of this, like with this blue glow. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's the light of the Milky Way. Yeah. Light of the Milky Way. The only thing I see is a box and, and, and my gloves. And then, and then I started seeing like a, a harsher, less beautiful light from below. And I realized we were coming down towards the, back towards the station and, and the artificial light of the station is but I the entire Milky Way opened up. I saw, you know, satellites whizzing by, at least yeah. the satellites. Um, you know, it was just absolutely incredible. Once my eyes adjusted, it was like somebody had a dimmer switch and was turning the dimmer switch brighter, you know, uh, on the Milky Way and it just exploded uh, into into my field of view. That was, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, tell me if you felt the same way. Um, this is a little bit different, as, you know, side of that experience of moving. So I had the same thing. I moved from on the end of the arm, from the end of the station on this arc down into the payload bay of the shuttle with, a, I don't know, a 900 pound box. And um, yeah, I had another box that was 1100 pounds. That yeah, that was strapped to the back, the, the right side of your brain doing, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know each other training again. You know. And um, but anywho, um, so on the end of this arm, holding on to this box, and um, I just remember I remember from the training thinking, oh, I'm gonna feel myself moving around. I'm gonna feel the arm move, I'm gonna feel, you know, I was preparing myself for that. Yeah. I felt like I was absolutely standing still, holding on to this box. The station moved out of my view, earth rotated below me in my view, and then out of, you know, 25 minutes later, up pops this shuttle payload bay. And I never felt like I ever, you know, other than mo moving myself, I never, and I, I, I credited Kevin Ford, our, our bug colleague, with um, being such a wonderful pilot of the, the station arm that I never felt that. But that was, when I think about isolation, <laughs> That was this place where I felt, you know, again, it was kind of like looking at Earth from space where you are separated, you know, and now, you know, you know, you're out at the end of this arm moving in this big arc from one place to the other, all by yourself out on the end of the arm. And at the same time, I was like, I'm all alone in my little spaceship, you know, at the end of this arm, not moving. I had somehow set my temperature perfectly. So I never had to do the gloves or I was just I, and at one point I thought to myself, okay, Nikki, don't fall asleep. That would not be the thing to do. You know, don't be the one that falls asleep on the end of the arm. But it was like, at the same time, I felt like, man, if something goes wrong here, my buddy Danny's outside with me. 
My crew on the inside of the space station is just watching every move of this. My friends and family, not that they could do a whole lot about it, they were watching me from the ground. And the mission mission control team, it was like, there was this whole you know world of people surrounding me too to make it successful. And that's how I'm trying to think about now too, is that I can't, I'm not with those, that, you know, the people that are backing me up, but right. we, we've got each other's backs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I had a similar experience, but I, but I, but the thoughts that were going through my mind were completely different. I, I had another, another time on the, on the space station's arm on a, on a different mission is actually um, during the last flight of Atlantis. And I was bringing a, a pump module down to, to Atlantis's payload bay. So the same thing, you know, the space station goes out of my field of view. I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen the, the shell yet. This time I didn't see the earth either. I had, yeah. it was black. And so I'm holding this thing. Um, there, there is light, so I'm, I'm seeing it. And the, the same thing, you know, I, I have no sensation of motion. You know, I'm kind of floating a little bit inside the, the suit just slightly, not floating, but you could, but, you know, the, yeah. the bars of the, the bars of the, uh, the foot restraints, I feel myself, you know, you know, going up into them. And so I'm holding this 1100 pound thing. And all of a sudden I hear, not hear, but I feel a clunk. It just goes, and, and, and right before that happened, like a split second before that happened, the big giant box, it's like somebody grabbed it and tried to yank it out of my hands. Like I'm holding this thing and, it, and it's like, all of a sudden it's pulling away from me and I'm, I'm holding it as hard as I can. So it doesn't slip out of my hands. Or my, take me with it. <laughs> my whole body is pitching forward. I feel the the bars of the of the uh, foot restraint digging into the top of my feet, and then I hear I feel a clunk, just a clunk, and I'm thinking to myself, and then it stopped. And I'm thinking, okay, what just happened? <laughs> Did we don't I talk about who was flying your arm then? Uh, um... <laughs> <laughs> Abrupt stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? Did I, do, and, I and then, and then your, your mind starts. Oh, did I do that? Yeah. Very, very things. I'm thinking, did I just, did the foot restraint just break off the end of the arm? Am I flying off into space right now? And I'm thinking, well, surely if I was flying off into space, somebody would say something and they would let me know, Hey, Ryan, you're flying off into space. Then I thought, well, what happens if the calm went down? <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm not here. I'm not hearing anything at all. So eventually I talked myself, you know, I, I these are just like little thoughts. I didn't really think that that that's not happening. But but what happened? I think there was an over. Yes, the arm was stopped. It was stopped somewhat abruptly and and unexpectedly. And the the foot the foot restraint has a, a little over center mechanism, so it, it did pitch forward. Um, but that was. <laughs> I was very happy when I started seeing Atlantis's payload base starting to come into my field of view. Did you use your mag? My <laughs> in response to that. <laughs> no. No, I, uh, that's another NASA acronym, the maximum absorbency garment. Yeah, it we'll probably have some applicability to our to being shown in place. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nikki, yeah. we got we got to wrap it up, and I just wanted to, to just close with some you know words of advice for folks on on what's going on and and what they can do and and how we're going to get through this. Okay. Oh, I thought you wanted to. <laughs> I already shared some. I already shared my. I think you know. I think that if I was going to say anything, it's that especially if we're looking at in terms of the parallel of how we deal with things in space and you know or underwater, even in in an Aquarius habitat, it's that 
the way we really survive those things, the way we, you know, overcome the challenges that go along with it is by behaving like a crew and knowing that we all have some responsibility in how the, the mission is successful. Mm -hmm. And that we have to, even when we might want to be looking out the window, you might have to be cleaning the toilet or something that's, um, or doing a science experiment and you just have to do it. And that's what we're doing now. And I, um, I'm thankful to, you know, all the people that are um, staying at home for the sake of all of us. Yeah. I think one of the key points that you brought up there is that we have to have a mission attitude, right? I mean, you have to realize that you are on a mission. This, yeah. Everybody has a mission. And uh, and uh, in order to accomplish that mission, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, you need to do some self-care and you need to, to take care of your fellow crewmates. And yeah. those could be crewmates that you're physically located with and crewmates that you're connected with virtually. Um, yeah. Just, you know, I, I think we have a great opportunity to come through this, you know, much more unified than we ever have been because, you know, you're in Florida, I'm in Arizona and everybody is where they are and we're having this wonderful conversation. Yeah. And uh, uh, when when things return to some some semblance of what they were before, um, then, uh, you know, we can take all this stuff with us. Yeah. And more. Agree. Agree. Right. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too. Thanks, Nicole. Bye. Say hi to everybody and uh, everybody virtual hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. Ronnie, for including me. I'm going to leave the studio and see if it works. All right. All the best. All right. See ya. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space. <laughs> <laughs>